Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Another busy program. Lots to talk about today. Lots of guests lined up. But want to start things off today by saying hello to the folks in the Fort Morgan, Colorado area. Great to be back on KSIR in Fort Morgan, Colorado. Already hearing from some listeners there and uh, really glad to be back on and, and talking with folks in that part of the country. Excited about the, our new affiliates joining us here on AOA as we start 2019 and really appreciate all the affiliates uh, that and uh, been with us uh, through 2018. Great to a lot of good things ahead. Uh, coming up on our program today, we're going to talk with Steve Nicholson with Rabo AgriFinance. We'll talk about the, the markets and the um, you know upcoming trade talks and the impact that could have on the markets moving forward. And uh, we got into this a little bit yesterday with Arlen Suderman. We'll talk more about it with Steve today, get his thoughts on the battle for acres what that switch might be between corn and soybeans this year. We'll talk about that. We'll look at the ag economy today with the chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, John Newton, will be joining us. Hope to get some outlook from him. And Scott Yeager, chief environmental counsel for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, will join us. And we'll talk about the, the new WOTUS rule and look ahead. That'll be a big one here in 2019 as well. But let's start things off with Todd Neely, reporter for DTN. Todd, thanks for joining us. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year, Mike. Thanks for having me on. So we start off, uh, the story right now, of course, is the government shut down, and each day goes by, more impact being felt there. Uh, What are you hearing as far as impact on agriculture is concerned? Well, you know... um... Here at DTN, we follow the USDA reports quite closely. Um, I think that's kind of the immediate thing that we're looking at. Uh, you know, January 11th, there's a new WASDE that's expected to come out. Um, but so far, that's kind of contingent on whether, you know, we get a reopening of the government at this point. Um, it sounds like we might know something by this Friday, uh, either way on that report. But, um you know, there's some other things. I mean, you know, we've we've talked a lot about, you know, the E15 rule that, that the EPA may be releasing um, come February. Um, you know, but depending on how long this shutdown goes, uh, you start to wonder whether that might be pushed back a little bit. Although, um, you know, there's plenty of indication that EPA has done a lot of work on the E15 rule. Um, you know, it's set for February, but, um, you know, it's I, I think at this point it's quite possible that that rule still may be released on time if the government shutdown doesn't go on for too long. Um, you know, if this drags on in all the way through January, obviously that would change many things. But um, at this point, I guess it's wait and see. And, of course, the impact on the trade aid payments, too, uh, another part of this. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if it- you know, um, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, you know, if that does drag on a while, you know, we've got people waiting uh, here at the start of the year, you know, marketing plans being done. I mean, a lot of things that are ongoing. And I think, um, you know, it's really it really comes at a time where, um, you know, we really need to have a bit more certainty on a lot of these things. And I think, you know, we got at the end of the year, um, you know, the, the, the Trump administration moving on the second round of those payments. And, uh, you know, it'd be really quite unfortunate if that um, had to drag on any longer. Uh, the other issue, another one to watch would be interesting. Uh, the farm bill, they came to the compromise. They kind of got around the, the, the SNAP issue because USDA right. addressed it by rule in another way outside of the farm bill. Now the Democrats, as they take over today in the House, they're kind of indicating uh, they may want to challenge that. Yeah, and, you know, that's I think that's the thing that's probably most disconcerting. You know, there was a lot of work done on that farm bill, a lot of compromise. Um, you know, both sides came to the table and did what they had to do to hammer something out that farmers desperately need at this point. And, uh, you know, to see that drag on um, into this new year would really be unfortunate. And I think, uh, you know, perhaps, we're, you know, in the House, I mean, I think, um, you know, the whole SNAP issues you know, vital to the farm bill in many respects. And I think, you know, you kind of hope at this point uh, with the new house that they'll look at this and, you know, maybe come to terms with the idea that 
probably dragging this thing out. It's probably not a great idea. So we'll see. A lot uh, that yeah. depends on how this government shutdown works, and uh, we'll be watching uh, what happens there with, uh, I think, another meeting scheduled for tomorrow. Meanwhile, we, uh, right. we're we kind of watching for USMCA, NAFTA 2.0, and how that will uh, be dealt with this year as we head towards a vote. But the U.S. International Trade Commission uh, is, is on hold during the government mm-hmm. shutdown, and that... Uh, creates at least a possibility that the release of that report and the economic impact of that agreement uh, could be delayed as well. So, uh, I mean, there are a lot of things kind of hanging in the balance here while we wait for this shutdown issue to be resolved. Absolutely. You know, and and that's the thing. You don't realize until you have these partial shutdowns how much is involved with agriculture and, you know, especially... Um, you know, this past year we saw so many different things occurring with trade trade movements and, and all these things we talk about. And, uh, you know, when the rubber hits the road uh, and you get into this new year and you start talking about shutdown and, and restart and all these things, and uh, it's really unfortunate because here we sit, um, you know, a lot of these things were rather important, obviously, to agriculture. And when you sit and wait and and you consider more of the doubt and, and uh, uncertainty going on, and it's really uh, it's really kind of an interesting thing to watch. But I suspect that we're probably going to know something more, um, you know, whether the government reopens within the next week or so. I mean, I, I think uh, there's a lot of on behind-the-scenes things going on that, that's going to uh, shake things out here pretty soon. A lot of people may kind of flippantly say, maybe a lot of us even think about or even have the thought in their head, hey, a government shutdown, at least they can't do any harm. But, uh, A, Congress <laughs> is in session, and, B, we're talking about the part that's shutting down is the implementation of those things that a lot of people count on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, that you know, that's that's the hardest part of it. You know, USDA is really not at the forefront when you talk about government shutdown. You know, we hear a lot of about a lot of other aspects of government, um, you know, kind of hitting the headlines. But, um, you know, in ag country, obviously, when you – when you close down the USDA, there's a lot of day-to-day and month-to-month functions that, um, you know, we really look at closely. And when you, when you talk about shutdowns, it's really, um, it's just really more uncertainty, and it's just, it's really unbelievable how, how much is actually affected. Todd, before we let you go, I want to again uh, congratulate you on the great series on the opioid crisis in this country. Where can people, if they haven't read it already, where can they get that information? Oh, great. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Um, you know, if you go to our Farm Life section on our website, uh, we've got all seven stories posted up there, and uh, we're going to have other stuff coming up, uh, you know, down the road on this issue. I'm sure we'll continue to follow what happens. Yeah, I encourage people to check it out because you, you did a lot of great reporting there and a lot of uh, important information there. I think eye-opening information uh, uh, as people look at it and maybe uh, – uh, realize it's a bigger issue and maybe closer to home than uh, many people would have realized. And uh, I want to congratulate yeah. you again on that work. Todd, thanks a lot. We'll talk again soon, okay? All right. Thank you very much, Mike. Take care. Todd Neely, reporter with DTN. All right. Up next, grain and oil seeds analyst with Robo AgriFinance. Steve Nicholson joins us. We talk markets. We talk trade. Uh, What do we do if we don't get those government uh, reports? Uh, How does the market uh, deal with that? Lots to talk about next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, Immigration Reform, Reducing Regulations, Trade, New Technology, as well as Infrastructure and Healthcare. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. 
Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, happy to have with us for the first time in 2019, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Robo AgriFinance, Steve Nicholson. Happy New Year, Steve. Happy New Year, Mike. Thanks for being hey, here. You know, a lot of times it's not a lot of good news these days in the grain markets and the commodity markets, yep. but uh, at least we're not covering the stock market right now. Oh, gosh. I mean, that would be a, that's a worse situation. We, you know, we talk about volatility in commodities, and we talk, and as we've talked numerous times, looking for some hope. Boy, equities is that's a tough that's a tough go, and you see what you know what Apple said yesterday, and you know you know currencies and you know economic you know domestic economics do have an impact on on prices, and I think Apple's a good example of, of exactly that. Let's talk about outside pressures on the commodity markets. Uh, yep. Certainly, strength of the dollar is something to look at. Uh, the what's going on uh, with oil prices that also can have an impact. Uh, so, what are the, the the factors we should be watching closely here? No, I think that's a great question. I think that's probably a good way to lead into two nineteen uh, to twenty nineteen is is the fact that we now do have to pay attention to to outside pressures on the market. You know. For 10 years, it was all about the fundamentals, and we didn't have enough supply, and we had huge demand, and so you know outside forces didn't impact. And now, now we have to think about that. You know, we just got the farm bill passed. I mean, the farm bill is probably not what I would call a a huge outside influence. Uh, it will impact a little bit of income, um, but the fact is, it's you know it's it's done. Um, but we do. You know, what a crude oil price is going to do. You know, that's going to impact the amount of gasoline, and of course then impact the amount of gasoline that's consumed um, and I think we have to think about that of course in the case of ethanol and biodiesel to a certain extent as well you know if we if we see prices of gasoline get too high or we see the economy get a little rough then we see a back down in gasoline consumption which is also going to back down ethanol consumption so I think you have to think about that and then the other piece here and, and Tesla's issues aside this is a much longer term issue but think about the impact of electric cars or hybrid cars as we see more and more of them on the road whether it's for you know if you're if you have environmental persuasion or if it is a you know uh, a social thing or if it's you just don't want to pay for gasoline anymore or you want to produce less pollution as, as urban areas will do that's going to lessen the demand for gasoline and lessen the demand for ethanol and among a whole bunch of other things um, the other thing of course is, is currency uh, China and tariff policies, those all get kind of wrapped into one. You know, the dollar remains strong. You are 
a little weaker in 2019. And I should couch that more as there's just not the upside strength is probably limited, so that will probably be a good thing. Uh, but there doesn't seem to be any uh, any sort of break in the wall, if you have, uh, between China and the U.S. And the tariffs continue, um, and so I think those that's something we have to watch. And as we've talked before, that is, you know, that's tw- one tweet away from being over, or one tweet away from, you know keep moving forward or getting worse or double down. So I think those are things we have to watch. Currencies, got to pay attention to what our competitors are doing is, is always my kind of my preaching point on that. The U.S. dollar index is important. It isn't the sign of what's happening. You know, the Brazilians have just turned over, have just inaugurated a new president. You know, what is that economy going to do? Of course, you know, the president saying we're going to fix the economy, um, but watch the value of the real. That will have more impact on whether we export beans or not, the tariffs aside, same thing with the Argentine peso, same thing with the ruble and the Ukrainian um, currency. You know, how are they versus the dollar? That makes an impact on how how our how our commodities are exported or how much of our commodities are exported. So, all those things you know are out there, you know, on on the horizon that we have to pay attention to every single day, and that impacts the markets. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I want to get back to South America in just a moment, uh, but yep. I want to ask yep. you about about, yep. the, about the Fed and the interest rates. Uh, on yep. the one hand, I think everyone expected or realized they were going to start at some point uh, inching yep. up and just concerned about how much and how often. But there seems to be, every time there is even talk about the possibility of it going up a little bit more, quite a uh, adverse reaction. How do you view how this may play out as we watch what the Fed does? We have to kind of, there's a couple things to put in perspective about this, is that the Fed needs, you know, with zero interest rates, the Fed had no tools left in its toolbox to, to impact the economy, whether it was due to inflation, whether it was due to unemployment or, or overemployment or, or a recession. So, you know, we needed to bring interest rates back to, as I think the Fed Chair Powell has said, to some sort of normalcy. Now, I think at this point we're probably a couple, you know, 25 basis point um, increases left, maybe three for 2019, and they might they might figure that we have, and I'll use the word normalized interest rates for now. But if you, I think we have to put this in perspective. A couple other things too. If you look at long-term Fed rates, we're still at historic lows. We're not at zero like we were, but we're still at very very low rates as we're where we were. If you look back over history. And so historically and in perspective, we're still good. Yes, do we pay more for interest rates, and do you like it or I like it or producers like it? No, but it does add some lubricant to the economy that is very badly needed. The other thing that's happening in the Fed is that they are slowly unwinding quantitative easing. Now, that, doesn't, that does impact interest rates or the bond market, and it does impact um, liquidity in the economy, which is more, more probably reflected in the stock market, than it is in agricultural markets, but it is something that's happening that will have an impact upon on money supply, on liquidity in the market and industry. So I think we have to think about that too. But I think let's not get hung up on the fact that oh my gosh, their interest is going through the moon because they're probably not. There probably is only, as I said, maybe another couple twenty-five, maybe um, three interest rate hikes in 2019. We're talking with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo Agrofinance. Steve, you mentioned China and the anticipation yep. starting to ramp up about the next round, uh, you know, the next meeting, the next talks later this month. But while, while we sure. watch and wait for that, uh, I want to go back to South America because yep. that, that's quite a story of what happened there. It looked like they were off to going to have this bumper crop and yep. could flood the market with soybeans, and then the weather kind of shifted on them, and it, 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 uh, the picture changed somewhat down there. Yeah, and, and I think it's, again, it's like interest rates. Let's put it in perspective. It, it, and just just to give some reference here, I think you're exactly right and said that you know, everyone is anticipating they got off to a great start, a fast start, probably means good a good second corn crop as well in, in Brazil, and all of a sudden it got dry in southern parts of Brazil. Now, so you're going from a, a perspective of a record bean production, we'll put it in that 130 metric ton area, to someplace around 120 million metric tons. So yeah, it's a big, it's a potentially large decrease, and I use the word potential there. 
But keep in mind, that's 120 million metric tons. We're still going to have plenty of soybeans in the world and really too much soybeans in the world. So it, it's, again, the market's perspective and the market is, is, is you know, trying to get a perspective, you know, had a perspective of record, and now that perspective has been dialed back. And so the market's adjusting to that. And so we're seeing a little strength there just because it, the market wants something to talk about. But I think we have to be careful, like we are with corn stocks globally. You know, we're not running out of anything, and it's not that we're in a, in a dire situation that, like we were, you know, from 2006-07 until 2013-14. So I think, again, keep it all in perspective. But I think the, 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 the message in all that, and it's particularly when you look at what happened to beans here over the last several days, both because of anticipation, again, of China making 5 to million metric tons of, of U.S. bean purchases, and now, oh, my gosh, the sky is falling in Brazil, and the market jumped up. Those are opportunities that the market is providing producers to market some beans if it fits into their profit goals. And I think that's the thing we have to look at this year is when those opportunities arise, we have to take advantage of them. Steve, got just about a minute left. How do you see this playing out as we look ahead to planting time here? Does the market uh, give enough incentive to move away from uh, those soybean acres more into corn? Or are, do you see it uh, not coming in time to, to be the big shift that many had anticipated? No, I, I do think we're going to see a shift. I mean, I, I don't know that we're going to see the shift of, you know, people talking six, eight million acres of beans. Um, but the fact is the farmers making that calculation right now, trying to determine, you know, what's the most profitable. And, and there's two things that kind of happen. If you start looking at crop budgets for 19, corn does appear to be less of a loss leader, if that makes sense, um, than beans. And the other, the other thing, and, and you know this from talking around the Corn Belt, you know, corn, the potential for yield in corn just continues to rise every year. And beans is always, there's always that question mark in beans. And so particularly as you get to the Western Corn Belt. So I think those are all things farmers will be weighing. But I, I do think we'll see less beans and we'll see more corn when we come to 2019 for sure. All right, Steve, thanks a lot. We'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Appreciate it. Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Rabo AgriFinance. Well, we're going to talk about the uh, ag economy overall. We touched upon some things there with Steve uh, that are very much impacting uh, the ag economy as well. And as we look ahead, of course, there's the whole issue of China and some other things uh, that we'll keep a close watch on. So we're going to talk about all that with the Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. John Newton joins us next. Stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. If you suffer from heartburn or other digestive-related disorders, then there is a new, safe, better, and natural alternative to better digestive wellness and heartburn relief. Praxid not only provides relief of heartburn, but Praxid takes a 360-degree approach to support better digestion, protect you from harmful bacteria, and also balance your stomach to improve digestive functions. We like to think of it as the multivitamin of digestive health. It's the only product to combine all natural ingredients known for the digestive health properties into a single patented product. Praxid also comes in easy-to-carry packs. Praxid relieves, restores, and maintains a healthy digestive system. Praxid is available here for only $39.95. Shipping and handling is free, and your money back is guaranteed. To take advantage of this special radio offer, call now, 1-800-829-5705. That's 1-800-829-5705. Again, 1-800-829-5705. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. Positive tone to the grain and oil seed sector an hour into Thursday's trading session. Dry weather in Brazil, price positive for soybean futures. The government shutdown continues to lumber on, and until that shutdown ends, reports from USDA remaining in limbo. USDA announced Wednesday it'd decide Friday whether to delay crop reports planned for release on January 11th. In soybean futures, we are trending two to three and a fraction higher. March contract up three at nine ten a bushel. March corn up a penny and a half at three seventy seven and a quarter. That contract was firm yesterday after sideways activity. The short-term corn trend remains weak, according to the Wire Talk. Ten-day moving average acting as first resistance around three seventy-seven. A sell-off and close below three seventy-two and a half could open the door to a fresh selling wave with a potential bearish target at the November twenty-sixth low 
at 367 and a quarter. In the wheats, we're two to three and a fraction higher in Chicago, 10 a bushel, up three and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat march up seven at 561. Kansas City march up four and three quarters, 497 and a quarter. Livestock at the Merck and Lean Hog Futures adding to Wednesday's rally on a Thursday. February Lean Hogs up 60 cents at 62.30. April up 47 at 68.05. Cash expectations steady firm on this Thursday. In live cattle futures, a narrow mix. February down a nickel per hundred weight at 123.47. Feeder cattle, March contract down 35 at 145.60. We're waiting on cash cattle activity in the central and southern plains. On Wall Street, the Dow down over 500 points. NASDAQ down 140. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, Manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, as we start 2019, let's kind of get an assessment of the ag economy. Where are we at the beginning of this year? Joining us now is the Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, John Newton. John, thanks for joining us. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Well, we know that there are ups and downs in the general economy. Uh, the stock market's been on a wild ride lately, a lot of down, very sharply down days uh, that uh, have a lot of people's attention. But as we look at the ag economy, we know it's we just wrapped up another year where it's been down and the concerns remain. Uh, as we begin 2019, what is your assessment overall of the ag economy and what do you see this year ahead? Well, it's no secret that, that 2018 was a pretty tough year. We saw USDA's estimate of net farm income at $66.3 billion. Uh, if you adjust for inflation, net farm income in 2018 was the third lowest level that we've seen uh, over the last 20 years. And I think a lot of the reason for that is, is rising costs of production. Uh, production expenses in 2018 were up about 4%. Uh, when you take those higher productions and you consider that gross farm income was only up about 1.3%, that's why you saw a 12% decline in net farm income last year. I think moving forward, thinking about where things are headed going into 2019, uh, you just look at the historical trend. Production expenses across all of ag uh, continue to increase. Uh, so if we see higher production expenses, we could potentially see uh, gross farm income remain relatively flat. I would expect net farm income in 2019 to remain about where it is uh, in 2018. I don't expect to see a significant improvement unless we see these export opportunities improve and, and higher prices for a lot of our key commodities. So it gets us right back to especially China, but some other trading partners as well, see what happens with NAFTA 2.0, if it gets approved and things like that. Are we putting too much in that basket of China, though, I mean, we kind of got caught in that. Uh, we we got so dependent on them, especially in soybeans. Uh, are we kind of going down that path again, putting uh, so much uh, onto that? Obviously, it's an important market. It's a key, and a, uh, some kind of agreement would be uh, a big boost. But how big a boost, John? Well, when you think, let's just single out soybeans. That's been the commodity that, that everyone's focused on when you think about China. Uh, China buys one-third of every acre in the United States. Last year we planted 90 million acres, so they accounted for uh, about 30 million acres. But but we planted that crop in 2018, anticipating that market to be there 
for this crop year in, in China up until recent weeks was completely out of the market. Uh, they normally would have bought, you know, six to 700 million bushels of soybeans by this time of the year. Uh, and absent the recent commitments that we saw, they were only in the market for about 12 to 14 million bushels. So uh, we don't have the data from USDA due to the shutdown to see how big they've come uh, back into the, our, our soybean market. But it's a very big deal when you think about next year, a lot of the analysts expect for us still to plant about 85 to 88 million acres of soybeans. Uh, and a lot of that is due to anticipated demand from China. So, you know, if we don't get this resolved uh, by the end of that, that 90-day period, getting into March, uh, we're going to be in some pretty tough shape because not only will we have uh, old at the same time the soybeans are coming on from South America, uh, but we're also in the middle of planting. Guys have already made decisions about what they're going to plant next year. So uh, there's there's a whole lot of proverbial eggs in that basket when you think about China and soybeans. And, and with China, we don't think about it as a huge corn market, but it could be. It was starting to become quite a market for uh, ethanol and ethanol products like DDGs. If we could get that open back up, that certainly has an impact. Well, that, that certainly does. I think one, one of the things you look at is, is the Chinese government has signaled uh, in recent years a, a desire to produce more ethanol. I think one of the challenges with that, you look at USDA's revisions to, to Chinese corn production and ending stocks, uh, they were revised sharply higher uh, in recent years. So to what extent can they still use some of that old corn to produce some ethanol remains uh, you know, unknown. Uh, but certainly it is an opportunity for us to get into that space and continue to use uh, more corn. We had a fantastic year exporting corn last year uh, for 2018. Even in the face of some of the tariff headwinds that we had, corn exports were the highest they had ever been of all time. So it's certainly an opportunity uh, for not only corn and corn byproducts going forward. We're talking with John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. You mentioned some of the export numbers. And, you know, red meat, we saw some strong numbers, too. I guess as bad as it was in 2018, it could have been worse. Well, you, you're exactly right. I think, you know, we, we were able to move a lot of product. I think if you look, you know, we talk a lot, Mike, you and I do, about dairy. And I think I just saw something from the Dairy Export Council that said last year is going to be uh, one of the best years ever in terms of dairy product exports. So, what you see happen is is lower prices create an opportunity for other folks to come in and buy our products. We're real competitive uh, in the global market. Uh, we always have been, and, and some of the lower prices we saw this year create an opportunity uh, for us to move more product into the export channels. All right, let's talk about dairy, uh, because even though there were some good export numbers, we know that dairy prices uh, and dairy margins for producers are uh, pretty tough, and uh, a lot of them really you know, looking at a tough 2019 as well. Do you see any optimism there for a stronger year for dairy prices this year? Well, I think one of the one of the biggest things that, that we're going to see, you know, once the government gets back up and running and FSA is able to set up that new dairy margin coverage program, uh, that's going to be a big win for, for the industry. We're talking about the ability uh, to get margin protection up to $9.50 a hundredweight, uh, for a, about 14, 15 cents a hundredweight cost, you factor in some of the discounts that are going to be available. It's going to be a really, really affordable uh, risk management tool to a lot of folks up to that five million pound uh, coverage level. And I think that's going to go a long way to boosting income uh, for dairy farmers. You think about we're starting to move through uh, some of the inventories that were hanging over the market in recent years. Uh, we've got we've got an issue with cheese right now with with cheese inventories at record high, uh, but I think the opportunities for the dairy space are definitely going to be higher, especially higher than they were this past year. If we get the new NAFTA passed, uh, not huge gains for dairy, but some. Uh, do you see that making an impact? You know, I think it, it's you know it's it's really early to tell. Uh, you know, the access that we got on dairy for NAFTA. You think about. Uh, some of the, the the cream products that that the Canadians would demand from us, you know, those are products that we like to keep at home. So whether we export those products or keep them at home uh, remains to be seen. I think the other big question mark is what is Canada going to do uh, with their pricing scheme? Uh, while they committed to getting rid of the Class Seven issue that really challenged the U.S. dairy farmers 
uh, this year. Uh, what they actually ended up with was something that looks a whole lot like how we price nonfat solids in the U.S. market uh, with a big question mark on what their make allowances and yield factors are going to be. So there's still an opportunity for them to come in and set their, their make allowance at a higher level than what we have and still have a over us in some of those spaces. We do cap how much they can export in some of those categories, uh, but how much of a win it's going to be for the dairy sector I think remains to be seen. So overall, John, as we look to 2019, I guess China continues to be right at the top of that list of uh, the issues have resolved some kind of a, uh, a deal in place with them or a backing away from these tariffs that, that we have seen uh, in 2018. That would certainly go a long way to, to improving the outlook. I think what that does, it gets us back into the markets that we're used to doing business in and, and helps us stay competitive. And then we can turn our attention to building markets uh, around the world, new markets, and enhancing our access in existing markets. And I think those things combined are going to go a long way to, to improving the outlook for the farm economy. Yeah, as as we look at that, you know, there's Japan and some other uh, key markets. I mean, the potential is there. We just need to see it come to fruition. That's exactly right. I think, you know, you step back and you think about what we've seen over the last six years in terms of agricultural productivity in the U.S., we've had six consecutive years of above-yield, above-trend corn yields. That's, you know, absent some weather shock from Mother Nature, we're going to have big crops. And, and the opportunity is uh, finding new markets to do business in so that we can move uh, these surplus products around the world. Hey, real quick, uh, on, uh, on cattle and hogs, what do you see outlook there for 2019? I think the, the, the protein space is going to be uh, incredibly competitive uh, in 2019. Uh, you know, we had record beef, hog, and poultry production in 2018. The expectation is that the, the 10-year cattle cycle, uh, we haven't hit it yet, so that slowdown is, is not exactly uh, upon us just yet. I don't think USDA predicts the cattle herd to contract until 2022. So we've still got more beef coming online. Uh, more poultry coming online. I think there's an opportunity for us uh, if we get these things fixed with China to step in uh, and backfill some of that pork demand given the, the African swine fever uh, that's devastating that country. So there's there's certainly some opportunities, but it's going to be a very, very competitive protein case in my opinion. Yeah, cattle, hogs, poultry, which is important. I mean, that's a domestic market for our, uh, uh, our crops that we need to be strong because that's so important that's a, that's our big customer you know what people have told me you know i worked in the dairy industry for so long and they they call that value-added milk <laughs> that's that's right you know and and sometimes that gets overlooked how important that uh, that livestock sector is to the grains and uh, we want to keep emphasizing that well john thanks a lot we look forward to seeing you in a few days uh, in new orleans at the afbf annual meeting we'll talk to you then yeah happy new year All right. Thanks, John. John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. And yes, uh, later this month, we'll be broadcasting from New Orleans in the American Farm Bureau Federation annual meeting, the 14th and 15th of this month. Also, later this month, we'll be uh, in San Diego for the National Biodiesel Board annual meeting. And uh, at the very end of the month and 1st of February as well, we'll be in New Orleans again for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association annual convention. Speaking of NCBA, their chief environmental counsel, Scott Yeager, joins us next as we look ahead to getting a new Waters of the U.S. rule. Stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit standuptocancer.org to learn more. 
Together, we can save lives. Okay, men. This is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're gonna go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you gonna do? You're gonna go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't. Because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're gonna go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you gonna do? You're gonna go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't, because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. If you suffer from heartburn or other digestive-related disorders, then there is a new, safe, better, and natural alternative to better digestive wellness and heartburn relief. Praxid not only provides relief of heartburn, but Praxid takes a 360-degree approach to support better digestion, protect you from harmful bacteria, and also balance your stomach to improve digestive functions. We like to think of it as the multivitamin of digestive health. It's the only product to combine all natural ingredients known for the digestive health properties into a single patented product. Praxid also comes in easy-to-carry packs. Praxid relieves, restores, and maintains a healthy digestive system. Praxid is available here for only $39.95. Shipping and handling is free, and your money back is guaranteed. To take advantage of this special radio offer, call now, 1-800-829-5705. That's 1-800-829-5705. Again, 1-800-829-5705. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. I can't believe he found them. He seems sorry. We very clearly told him not to look up there. I'm honestly impressed that he was able to do it. Right? What did he balance on that big chair? Yeah, I mean, I guess he'll just know what his gifts are this year. I really thought we had hidden them well. If they can find their presence, they can find a gun. 911, what is your emergency? Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and Family Fire. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, welcome back. So Congress gets back in session today, the 116th Congress, and we get ready for year, I think, there, because um, now we'll have the uh, House back in the hands of the Democrats, of course, and the Senate in the hands, still in the hands of the Republicans. So there's going to be some real back and forth there. And, of course, the ongoing uh, issues with the White House. So we will see to uh, challenge uh, the the direction of the on the SNAP program. We mentioned this earlier. They did not address it uh, in the Farm Bill. Uh, USDA doing it outside of the Farm Bill. And now it looks like uh, Democrats will probably challenge that. So we'll see. Watch how that plays out. Um, we'll see as 
Colin Peterson takes over the House Ag Committee chairmanship again. He's made it very clear for ag is good enough, and he says um, he hopes he's wrong about that, but he has expressed those concerns throughout, so we'll be watching that and what uh, uh, happens, of course, with trade. We'll have a lot to say, as we've been talking about here today. We'll have a lot to say about where this ag economy goes in 2019. Another big story we'll be watching this year, Waters of the U.S., uh, the new rule that was released at the end of 2018. Uh, Agriculture, very uh, much supportive of it. Environmental groups have criticized it. Let's talk about it with Scott Yeager, Chief Environmental Counsel for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Scott, thanks for joining us. Your thoughts on that new WOTUS rule? The new water rule is a lot better than the 2015 Obama-era WOTUS rule. Um, I think that the Trump administration tried to strike a compromise and create a, a, a realistic and uh, legal uh, rule that provides you know, congressional checks on how far EPA can go with asserting Clean Water Act authority across the country. Um, so we're happy to see this new rule proposal. Um, you know, I think, is it perfect? No, it's not perfect. Uh, nothing usually is. But it does a whole lot more for agriculture than the 2015 Obama WOTUS rule. So we're supporting it. We're going to be commenting on it. And we're going to hope to see it get across the finish line in the new year. I've made the comment that it's 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 a change and a, I think a pleasant change of relief, so to speak, that agriculture is working with EPA on this rather than against them, as, as has been the case uh, with the old rule. That's right. I mean, you know, something that the Obama administration tried to tout was that it had so many outreach meetings with different stakeholder groups across the country. Uh, the problem is that they didn't listen to what we said. So... We have a very different administration now that is actually willing to sit at the table and listen to what we have to say as agricultural producers and understand where we're coming from and incorporate that into their thinking as they're developing these rules and these repeals and these reform efforts. So that's, that's really uh, helpful, and it helps us achieve our policy goals to make sure that agriculture is able to continue to create an abundant source of nutritious food and, and beef in the case of the cattlemen. Um, and we're going to continue working on these issues until we get them across the finish line. It seems the new rule has a little more common sense uh, in that, uh, I mean, it, the old rule overly complicates what uh, most of us would would be able to tell is, uh, you know, uh, a navigable water or something like that. Uh, but what are your concerns? You said it's not a perfect bill. What are some of the issues that you would s- still like to see from a, the beef industry standpoint would like to see addressed? Sure. And um, we want to see a little bit more clarity on just uh, the extent of the exemptions for farm ditches. You know, there's an exemption in this new rule for farm ditches, but it also regulates some ditches, and it doesn't really lay out exactly uh, how far that goes. Um, And we want to have additional clarity to assure that no farm ditches are regulated as waters of the U.S., Um, so we'll surely be commenting on that. Um, You know, that's one of the, and there's not a lot, that's one of the major ones, but it's, you know, in the greater scheme of things, on balance, it's, it's kind of minor um, on the in the aspect of you know how much better this new rule is. Um, but those are small things that we can work out through comments and through con- you know, working with the agencies to make, make help them understand our perspective on that. Um, so on balance, a great rule. Uh, maybe some tweaks here and there that can be made. Uh, but if we can get this rule across the finish line, that's going to be a huge, uh, huge benefit to agriculture across the country. Okay, what is the next step? What's the timeline for this now? So <laughs> the funny thing, there is no timeline because the government is shut down. The EPA is does not have funding to actually function right now, so they're in shutdown mode. Uh, only essential staff is working, so uh, they cannot formally publish the new proposal in the Federal Register until they're back up and running, and until that happens, uh, it's kind of in limbo. Uh, but once... Uh, the federal government is back up, which hopefully happens soon. Uh, they can continue on the timeline of, of getting this rule proposed formally in the Federal Register, which will start the clock on the comment period. And then once that's closed, um, they'll be able to move forward with finalizing the rule. And then when it's finalized, it becomes official law. It scratches the old Obama-era rule off the books, and we get to move forward with the new policy. 
But there will probably be legal challenges. There will certainly be legal challenges. Environmental groups are all but certain to line up in opposition of this rule. Um, you know, just to put it in perspective, they opposed the 2015 Obama-era rule because they thought it didn't go far enough. So they're certainly going to be lining up to fight this Trump-era uh, rule. Uh, and then industry groups and agriculture will be lining up on the other side to support it. Um, this is a, like I said before, this is a big, big improvement over the Obama rule. It provides necessary safeguards to protect our navigable waterways, while also providing assurances that agriculture and industry can continue doing business without being overly burdened. So we think it strikes the right balance. But yes, it'll be, it'll it'll go to court, it'll be litigated, and ultimately it'll go before the U.S. Supreme Court. And this issue has been before the U.S. Supreme Court three times in the past 30 years. So this will be the fourth time. And then when that happens, hopefully we'll get some, well, so some guidance from the Supreme Court that will put this issue to rest. Now, keep in mind, last time this issue went before the Supreme Court, it was a very different Supreme Court with Kennedy gone and Scalia gone and Gorsuch and Kavanaugh in place. There is a very strong uh, five-justice conservative wing that is in favor of private property rights that will support this. So we've got a ways to go yet, but uh, you know, right now waiting for the government to shut down to end to get the process started back up again. Scott Yeager, Chief Environmental Counsel for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association with us. Thanks, Scott. Thank you very much. That wraps it up for today. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow. We'll talk more about the government shutdown, talk about the upcoming trade talks with China, and more here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612.